Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, David, how are you doing today? Good. There's a little bit of lag in our uh, video right now. That's a little bit. uh, Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's caught up. There we go. There we go. All right. Today we're looking at Tyson Berry, Bruce, and our keep hold or fold series so um so this is an interesting question it's on a certain level uh not that interesting because it kind of seems there's a consensus a settled consensus you know all the insiders saying the same thing generally which is tyson tyson barry is going to move on he's going to go to the market and see what see what uh the market holds for him and the owners can't afford him and he's going to move on. And it's a little different. There was a time early in the year for a couple of weeks when the hockey insiders, Oilers insiders were kind of saying the Oilers might try to re-sign him. And we're putting out that idea. You know, when Barry's game took off and he started to go into uh, point production mode and eventually became the top point producing defenseman in the NHL in the regular season, which is an impressive accomplishment. So, uh, but that quickly faded, I think, you know, is it, the realize certain realizations set in, namely that he's, uh, he's in his, I think he's 30 now and he's players start to trend down more to the point. They have a very similar player uh, who's 10 years younger and maybe just as good, if not better. We'll see about that. Cause you don't want to get ahead of ourselves on this, but certainly all kinds of potential and Evan Bouchard. So there's a cheap replacement. So Bruce, where do you stand on the old keep hold or fold um, category for Tyson Berry? Uh, I think I'm in camp fold on Barry. Tempted to say hold as in see what happens if he, you know, with another offer of the same of what he took last year, but I just don't think it's realistic. So I think the, the choice is, uh, likely to be uh, to move on from um, from Barry, and it, it's a more painful choice. Since I mean, some people are sounds like they'd be happy just to see him gone, and and uh, you know he does have uh, his drawbacks as his player, but my, man, he has his strengths too. And I think the uh, uh, the Oilers, uh, and especially their two scoring forwards, would miss. Uh, uh, would miss Barry, but uh, I, I'm uh, sort of resigned to the probability. You know, he was brought in on a one-year deal. He delivered value on that deal. He's probably going to get a, a big raise in terms somewhere, but I don't think that'll be here. It's, it's kind of one of the lost opportunities of this season, Bruce, is uh, Tippett's reluctance to play Bouchard or any of the right-shot defensemen on the other side. Mm-hmm. Because we might have a different thought about this if that had happened and if one of them had excelled on the left side and it's funny because you know when left shot demon are moved to the other side people kind of accept that and it's often because they played they have more experience playing on that on the right side because it's more common far more common for that to happen being that there's far more left shot players in the world than right shot players in the world i don't know what the actually the percentage is but it's uh, significant, and there's a lot more left Probably shot. Probably 60-40, eh? At le- oh, I bet you it's even 70-30 would be my 
gut feeling. I mean, I'm I'm thinking in terms of, of NHL players, but oh, that, that yeah. would be ex- and they would righties would have sort of gotten an advantage. It's like having left-handers in the bullpen in baseball. There's not yeah. as many left-handers in society as there are in a major league bullpen, but yeah, you know, but the, the the business of being right-handed is an asset in and of itself. You know, if Bouchard had played, if they had just stuck with that for a little while longer, like they just they would just seem so set on a certain way of proceeding and mm-hmm. it didn't and it was having and Tippett's consistent on this at least he wants defensemen on their natural w- wing or natural side and he's consistent about that and he has been both years and i think he's probably it's a good point that he's making it's a good thought to have it probably is in the end the best way to go but you can have success playing on your offside and Evan Bouchard might have been. If Evan Bouchard had excelled on the left side, let's say this year, or if Ethan Bear had excelled on the left side this year, if that, if that had been the move, then then you might be thinking differently about Tyson Berry. There might be, an, you'd think, why would you get rid of Tyson Berry? I mean, he was the top point-producing defenseman in the NHL this year. Why would you be moving on? He's got certainly, if he's willing to, to sign on a decent contract, he's probably got three or four decent years ahead of him. You know, you might pay him and pay the term. And... That's your defense. There you go. That said, Bruce, I'm also in the I'm in the fold camp at this point because Evan Bouchard, from everything that I've seen um, in the AHL, his AHL scoring in 2019-20 uh, was outstanding. It 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 was at a level that you see most players who scored as a rookie defenseman in the AHL, like Evan Bouchard, did become really good NHL defensemen, and some mm-hmm. of them become just outstanding. Um, he, he was fantastic in Sweden this year when we saw him play. He was uh, moving well with the puck. He, he, when he came to, to the Oilers training camp, he was ahead of the other players. He was in such great physical condition. He really impressed the coaches. His offensive game, his ability to get shots on net from the point, his passing of the puck, I think is it from what I've seen, there's a chance he's going to be as good as Barry, maybe as early as next year. And he may be better than, than Tyson Barry in the end as an attacker, which is saying a lot having Tyson Burring just okay. led the league. You know, I have to be careful, Bruce, last year at this time, like, be, you know, in the summer, I was so bullish on Caleb Jones mm-hmm. and thinking he was going to step up and grab that second pairing job and was going to do it, and he, and he failed. So that's a cautionary tale of projecting players for yeah. me, even if you see it with your own eyes and you see it over time with your own eyes. Players can take a step back and, at least in the short term, not realize the potential. We'll see if Caleb Jones, I think he's still a, a decent bet to realize his potential in the future. So I don't see how the fact that they're all right-shot D-men, you, you, the salary cap is tight as hell. Even for the Oilers, people think the Oilers have a lot of money. They have a lot less money than people think when you think about signing Nurse and Pugliarvi and the wingers they're going to need and raises for everybody as they get better. The, the Oilers are so tight with money. They cannot afford to go with a more expensive option in Tyson Berry as opposed to the younger option in Evan Bouchard. It, it would be calories, uh, salary, <laughs> calorie, too many calories on the salary cap. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be salary cap insanity. And the owners can't do that, and they, they're not going to do it by all accounts. So I, I liked Tyson Berry. Bruce, I am with his point scoring, and people have made this point in the past. See what you think about it. So, we, you know, we, we look at, um, we track how many major contributions players make at every state of the game to grade A chances. You know, in a, that's like a pass into the slot or a pass in the slot. And defensemen tend to make a lot less than forwards because they have much less opportunity to do so. When you translate 
that number, which for McDavid, for Connor McDavid was 186 times this year in 56 games. Connor McDavid made a major contribution to a grade A chance. Five point. Uh, no, it's not 186. That's just at even strength. I haven't yeah. got the total overall. 186 at even strength, 118 on the power play for McDavid. Uh-huh. So add that up in your head. Five a game. 304. 5.5 per game. And he got 105 points out of it. So that's 35%. That's 35% of his grade A chances essentially mm-hmm. translated into points. Tyson Berry, and the on the average for the Oilers for that kind of translation, grade A points to scoring points, official scoring points is about 30%. So if you get um, 90 contributions, you're going to get 30 points. Tyson Berry had the highest translation by far. He made 86 major contributions to grade A chances this year, and he got 48 points out of it. 56%, Bruce. Mm-hmm. The average was 30 on the team. Right. So the idea that he might have got a lot of second assists and mm-hmm. cheapy assists, yeah. that's a fair comment. It's, it's a... He benefited greatly from playing with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and making rote passes, average passes, that then turned into goals. And um, that's not all of his points. He made a ton of great plays, and he was a really solid puck mover in all states of the game. But in terms of his point total, if you're paying for that, I would say buyer beware a little Mm -hmm. bit on that. Because, again, the, the next highest oiler for that was Darnell Nurse, 46%. And again, the team average is 30%. So there's a little buyer beware on Darnell Nurse's offense, I'm going to suggest. Um, yeah, there's, there's an interesting, uh, I mean, there's a dynamic at play with that where uh, uh, if we went through the goal scored uh, where Barry got a point and saw how many times that we actually gave Barry credit for making a major contribution to that goal, that percentage would be low. Yeah, uh, there was quite a few goals scored where Barry got a uh, assist or a second assist, where we didn't even rate his play. You know, think of a few on the power play where Barry carries the puck up to center ice and then he makes a drop pass to McDavid, and McDavid roars up ice and and either goes through the whole team and scores or or he. Uh, uh, gains the zone, makes one pass, and that guy scores, and Barry gets a, gets an assist. And really, you know, I would say he got a, quite a number of his assists where he didn't even touch the puck in the offensive zone. But what he did do was get it to McDavid and get it to Dreisaitl. And I would suggest that if you went through this year and you counted all of uh, Tyson Barry's passes, probably uh, a huge majority of them would go to those two guys or his regular partner, Darnell Nurse. And in either any of the three cases, he was getting the puck onto the stick of someone who could do something with it. So points for that, and literally points for that. He got he got a few points by doing just that. What do you think of him as an attacker, Bruce? Like, where would you rate him in the like? Do you, like, do you think he is the best attacker? What do you think? You know? No, I I think it's very much a fluke. I mean, that he that he finished first. Like between 48 and 41, I think that there was 10 guys all packed into that small range. Uh, nobody in the league really had the opportunity he had of playing with, obviously, the two top two scorers in the league, sharing a power play with those guys, spending a lot of even ice, even strength time in a unit with those guys. And he took advantage of that. 
And as you say, it was more on the point side of the ledger than even necessarily direct contributions. Uh, he had his moments. Like, he's a nice offensive player, and he, he shows up in in places where you don't expect. He does have a very good shot. Uh, he, he, you know, he scored eight goals. It's a few of them were on howitzers, you know, good, good well-placed shots from, from the point, typically through an Alex Chase on screen and, uh, you know, just inside the post. I remember a few of those. But uh, uh, he's, I mean, if this were the 80s and we were measuring offense on points alone, we'd be saying, what are you, nuts? He's the third highest scorer on the team with a bullet. Like, he had 48 points, and the next guy was his defense partner, Darnell Nurse, with 36. And only then do you get down to the third highest scoring forward at Nugent Hopkins at 35. And looking at points alone, he was on pace for, if this had been an 82-game season and he kept doing what he was doing, 70 points. 70 points. You know how many Oiler defensemen have ever scored 70 points in the season? One. Yeah. Do you know how many Oilers defensemen have ever scored even 60 points in a season? One. Two. I'm going to surprise you. Risto Siltonen in 1981-82 had 63 points. And he did it in only 63 games. He had a very impressive one-point-per-game average. Uh, But uh, Tyson Berry, he he didn't quite make it 50 this year, but he only had two-thirds of a season in which to do that. And on a points-per-game basis, only uh, Coffey and Siltonen uh, rank ahead of him for individual seasons as an Oiler. And, of course, Coffey did it year year upon year. He had, uh, uh, over a five-year span, 570 points playing defense, Paul Coffey. Just think if the Twitter had existed when Risto Siltonen was around, the, 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 oh. the various factions of Oiler fans in the furious debates there would have been about mm-hmm. Risto Siltanen. I was a huge yeah. Risto Siltanen fan, but I can imagine, mm-hmm. like, because he's one of those players, you know, high skill, a little bit, uh, you know, and a fantastic skater, just, you know, yeah. incredible skater. But probably, uh, yeah, I wonder I wonder how bad his defense was if you looked at it closely. I, I can't, rem- I, you know, I can't say, because we did, I didn't look the, at it that closely. A little bit of Matador. That's what I'm going to say to you, Bruce. I think, and we can certainly say that about Tyson Berry and have said it on more than a few occasions over the season where, where uh, uh, the play went through his side of the ice more often than you would like. And But, you know, I, I compare him in, in a sense to, uh, you know, Justin Schultz. Like, and, and I could point out 10, 10 defensemen around the league, guys who are, you know, very good offensive defensemen. Uh, defensively, they're a little bit, uh, a little bit suspect, and the overall net is that uh, it's more good, more good than bad, but it's you know, it's not. He's not Chris Pronger. Let's put it that way, right? Yeah, I mean, he's not. He's, he's in the Shattenkirk. He's not Steve Spadaro. Smith. I'm looking at this list of all-time Oiler uh, scoring defensemen. He's not even Charlie Huddy. He is, uh, you know, he's he brings the offense defensively uh he made a few like hero plays defensively but on the whole uh, on the defensive side of the puck he's a liability and that's why i'm in the ultimately in the fold camp that's a really good reason to be in the it's why i am as well it's why during the regular season when he was scoring so well and people were getting exciting about it there was excitement about the player and people were talking about maybe a contract for this coming year i just couldn't get there I wasn't, I wasn't like, he was making too many defensive mistakes all the way along. And they were so glaring, a lot of them, like, 
breakaways, bad pinches. And then as the year went on, he continued into the playoffs, the first couple of games of the playoffs. He got taken off the top pairing with Darnell Nurse for yeah. a while there. You know, it was a thing of beauty when he was part of that five-man offensive zone uh, puck game. Where, where they were moving that around, you know, we, we, we mm-hmm. counted three or four times this year where they would have like for a minute or more than a minute, two or three mm-hmm. times. And, you know, there'd be 20, 30 passes and it was so much fun to watch and left such a huge impression. But in the end, he, his defensive play, the only player who struggled more in terms of leaking scoring chances against grade A chances, shots against was Caleb Jones. And Caleb Jones, his, he just he just had such a high event season it's like mm-hmm. this crazy high event season that caleb jones had but tyson barry was a close second or he was second to that not close but he was second to that and in your top pairing can you really have that kind of a high event d man and you know i don't think you can and win in the nhl i'd be surprised if you if you could get to the stanley cup finals and and win um with, uh, with tyson barry in your top no uh, was he the top pairing <laughs> No. Justin Schultz is a very good comparable to Tyson Berry. They're really similar players. And if you can, if you have a gap on your blue line with no one there to fill it and you need a, and if you want to spend five, five and a half million dollars, you know, for three years on Tyson Berry, you're getting it. That's a good deal. If you have a hole there and you need that player um, on your second pairing even. But yeah, that, that didn't work out for the Oilers. I don't think in the end, in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, there wasn't, we, you know, we have we we've just we did a podcast where we talked about Larson making mm-hmm. a lot of mistakes. Barry is just lucky that a lot of the mistakes he made in the playoffs didn't end up as goals against. Because by all by all you know rights, there was four or five or six or seven plays that led to the you know five alarm, grade A shots, uh, two on one shots. One of them Shifley missed the net when he turned over the puck. I recall, and there was another. Oh, yeah couple pinches that, that led to two on ones and he's just lucky that, that 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 didn't that didn't happen so i really liked i like that kind of player i like his game and if fielders could afford him that'd be great it would be great to have like you know if you think about it you know bear bouchard and barry all these you know great passing defensemen uh on your team and moving the puck well and it's a that's a huge part of hockey and they are going to miss tyson barry especially if Evan Bouchard uh, struggles. But I think the bet this year has to be on Bouchard. And I, and in retrospect, I think the orders would have been better off this year if the bet had been on Bouchard. That if th- they didn't know Evan Bouchard was going to have this the fall that he had in Sweden or come into camp looking ready to be an NHLer. They, they couldn't be sure of that, so they signed Barry. But I think the orders in the end would have been better off signing a winger with the money they used on Barry and I'm not. I'm not criticizing this. This is just kind of mm-hmm. like a. Right. This is completely 2020 hindsight. Mm-hmm. But I think that's if they had signed a winger with that money, mm-hmm. used that money on a winger instead of Barry and, and promoted Bouchard, they would have had better results in the end. Bruce, I want to ask you one thing. So I, we're in agreement. Right. So one of the things, one of the things you can do when you're in agreement on something, and you you know there's a consensus, is to go. What if we're wrong? Right. What What if we're wrong here? Mm-hmm. And so let's just put our heads to that, that we're wrong. Mm-hmm. That the, let's, let's take the premise that if the Oilers re-sign Tyson Berry right now, it's the difference between them winning a cup or not. They would, if they win, if they sign Tyson Berry this summer, the premise is they will win a Stanley Cup. And if they don't sign him, 
they won't. Mm-hmm. So what would be the reasons, like if you were to, if you were to make that argument in debating, if you were to make that argument that that happened, why did that happen? Why did the Oilers win a cup with Tyson Berry? This is five years from now. Why did the Oilers win a cup with Tyson Berry? And in, the, in that other alternative future where they don't sign him, they don't win a cup. Why did that happen? Well, why it did, certainly on the offensive side of, of things, that they had an elite uh, offensive defenseman who has had, uh, you know, many years. He's had five years now with 48 or more points in his career, uh, which uh, no Oiler defenseman, uh, you know, has had since 2008-09, other than him with uh, with uh, points at that level. Uh, that, uh, you know, he's consistently among the leading uh, producers on the defense. Uh that um, his style of um, being involved in the cycle game, which really I thought was his real strength, was that five-man cycle where he'd be so aggressive, uh, um, like cycling himself, like move, transporting himself around the zone, getting involved in the puck movement, pinching aggressively up to the up to uh, uh, the hash marks or even uh, down low. Uh, that was successful hockey for the Oilers this year. And we're not sure that Evan Bouchard brings that specific uh, ability to things. Um, but at the same time, they would have to, um, to be successful. They would have to surround him with other defensemen that, and players that made up for his weaknesses. So it's... Uh, this is a weak argument because I'm not sure I have one. <laughs> okay, I'll try. Here's why the Oilers won a cup with Tyson Berry, Bruce. It, the in in as we all know by now, in, in the 2021 playoffs, there was a number of incidents that, that caused kind of a shift in the NHL. First of all, Colorado won the cup, as we all know that year, and they did so with the, the, one of the most fastest, exciting teams that we've ever seen in league history. And, and it brought on an era of an arms race for fast, to, to get what Colorado has, fast defensemen who can move the puck, make plays with the puck. At the same time, the NHL finally woke up and realized, what are we doing with our stars? We are allowing them to be pummeled and injured by mediocre hockey players. This is a terrible business strategy. We could sell way more tickets by selling offense. We're going to get rid of the Peterborough Mafia. mafia, mafia. And that's what the NHL did. They finally, they cleaned house. They got rid of Colin Campbell and Walcom and all of those people who who allow that system of fouling and suppression of offense to go on, illegal suppression of offense to go on. And a new era of offensive hockey dawned in the NHL where teams are trying to ca- catch up to the Colorado Avalanche. And the only team that really had a realistic chance was the Edmonton Oilers. And they won the Stanley Cup because they made a key bet on Tyson Berry instead of Adam Larson. They realized that the game Larson played in this, especially as this game speeding up, they saw into the future and they saw what was going to come and they saw he's such a great defensive player. But if we're making mm-hmm. a bet, we're going to bet on the attack and we're going to go with Tyson Berry and Ethan Bear and mm-hmm. Evan Bouchard. And we are going to have uh, the best group of uh, one of the best groups of passing defensemen on the right side that the NHL has. And because we made that bet, and we saw what was going to happen. You know, unlike Peter Shirelli, who didn't foresee smaller, lighter teams, he went to heavy hockey when heavy hockey was going away. Well, it's really going to go. It, you know, five years from now, we see it really did go away. And uh, the Oilers made the right call. 
And Tyson Berry, he led the league again in scoring three years in a row. They, people thought it was a mirage, but it happened three years in a row. That's some mirage. And uh, in the playoffs, he was able to keep it up. And because of that, Edmonton won the Stanley Cup. So that's the that would be, if we're okay. wrong, maybe that's the argument. Okay. Did I convince you? Well, uh, well <laughs> the Colorado part had me going a little bit. I mean, because, of course, Tyson Berry comes from a good uh, Colorado pedigree, having played most of his career there up until the last two years ago. But the fact is that Colorado got rid of him uh, in large part because they saw the future and the future was better with Kale McCarr and Samuel Girard. And uh, uh, they've, uh, they've, uh, they've got better players doing the same type of thing and they're younger players and on the rise, whereas Barry, I think, has... You know, I don't see him getting better at this point. And if he's not going to fix his uh, defensive issues by age 30, he's probably not going to fix them. Uh, so, uh, Colorado. I, I, have to, I have to admit, I was out and out angry on two nights ago when Colorado beat Vegas in overtime. Uh, after after getting seriously pummeled in the second and third penalties, third periods, and in the first minute of overtime, the ref called the chintziest frickin' penalty imaginable to give Colorado a power play. And I was I was just I, I said to my wife, the Oilers played sixty minutes of overtime and never got a single power play. Colorado hasn't even played sixty seconds yet, and the refs have just gifted them with the power play, and sure enough they scored. It was one of those ones where you just hope the other team kills the penalty because it's not fair, and they didn't, and the game was was over. And, and uh, Colorado's pro- skill, I, eh? I was, oh yeah, I was, I was, uh, I, I may have been making uh, uh, muttered comments about Bettman's Golden Boys and so on, but you wonder, you know, you really do have to wonder about the the the, the consistency and the caliber of officiating and when. When in some games you can do anything at all, in other games, you know they decide. They decide. I think the refs decided that game with that chintzy call. I do, and so people say, "Oh, come on, McCurdy! Now you can't have it both ways. If you want them to call penalties, let them call penalties." And I say, "Yeah, let them call penalties. That wasn't a penalty, and somehow that got called." But a guy grabbing on to, on the dry saddle stick and holding it for four seconds right after a, a, a Winnipeg power play, that was fine. You know, like there was no, there's, there just seems to be no level uh, where you can rely on. And Colorado's so, power play, such a skill goal, right? Oh, like just, oh yeah, just oh yeah. beautiful they, they play by, by McKinnon and, and then I think it went to McCarr and then to Rantanen, if I'm not mistaken. And Rantanen just drilled that go. puck in, like... Mm-hmm. Oh, that's what goal. skill does for you. Mm-hmm. You know, Bruce, well, the Oilers I, have such a power play, David, but guess what? 60 minutes of overtime, we never saw it once. Complete and utter bullshit is what it was, mm-hmm. Bruce. Let's call it what it was. It was yeah, complete yeah. and utter bullshit. Yeah, and the NHL should be ashamed. Mm-hmm. Um, they should Again. fire Gary Bettman if he doesn't fix it. And and he's and he is he's costing his owners tens and tens of billions of dollars by keeping the NHL in the dark age, by listening to these people who are who are who are dinosaurs and Neanderthals, and he should if he doesn't clean house, he's got to go. So that's my uh, 
Krydukur. This this is where yeah this is where your 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 possible alternate universe where uh, the NHL actually took action and got rid of those guys. I'm thinking I want to move there. That's not <laughs> this universe. <laughs> Well, that's, that's the that's the right. that's the possibility. That's why you do you go through the that exercise, right? Because right. you try to imagine things that that probably aren't going to happen, but might. Mm-hmm. And how did it? Okay, if things turn out differently, how did that happen? My counter. I have one final counter argument, though, to the, you know, keep Tyson buried. I think the I think the decision really is Barry Larson. Like the it's Barry Bouchard. It's it's kind of the, like we, we presented that as I presented that as the, I caught like the pick. It's Bouchard or it's Barry. Really, it's Bouchard or Larson. Because Bouchard has earned a chance. You're crazy if you do not give him a chance. An NHL team is insane right now if they don't create a spot in the roster for Evan Bouchard on the third pairing to play next season. And you got to create a spot. You know, you hear people mumbling about competition and you got to earn the spot. Well, in the NHL right now with the salary cap and the way it works, you have to create roster spots. For players or they're not going to get a chance and that's what has to happen with evan bouchard but they could decide to go with barry over adam larson that really is the pick and it's one style of hockey over a different style of hockey that you're that you're choosing because they're comparable ages L- larson has a worse health record i believe than tyson barry so if you're betting on health barry's a little older but larson's health record's a little bit worse and he plays a much more physical game they don't tend to he's not a good as skater skating defensemen tend to do better into the 30s than slower defensemen so there's some real reasons to pick tyson barry over adam larson um and and anyone who's arguing that i don't think it's a crazy argument i think it's 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 a strong argument it's it's valid and the owner should have that argument the thing that encourages me, Bruce, is um, Philip Broberry. Like, in, in terms of playing a more attacking game, it's they they have these two young D-man in Bouchard and Broberry. And I know Broberry's star is low right now. He didn't have a final great final part of the year after he got banged up so much at the World Junior Tournament, and he hardly played in the Swedish uh, playoffs. I saw, though, a lot of games this year where I, that guy, I saw why the Oilers invested that high pick in him. Over Trevor Zegras and Cole Caulfield, there's huge controversy about this. And the people who say Cole Caulfield and Trevor Zegras should have been taken by the Oilers, they look right at this moment. And maybe in the future, they are going to be proven dead right. And this was a huge mistake. But from what I've seen in, in Brobury, he is a fantastic uh, package of skills. He's big. He's really big. And he is good with the puck. He can move the puck, uh, skate with the puck in incredible fashion. Like few other defensemen, young defensemen you'll see. His defensive game needs work. He's got to get better at it. He's got to get better at gap. He's got to get better at playing the man. But these are things that can be learned. And, uh, you know, learn from Adam Larson. You know, when he comes to training camp, they make him Adam Larson's roommate. Have him have Adam Larson teach um, Philip Broberry like Scott Stevens taught Adam Larson as a coach. Scott Stevens did. So I'm I'm pretty bullish on the owners' defense as an attacking team. If they can figure out a way to harness Caleb Jones to 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 get that this erratic streak that appeared in his game this year, I, I don't know why. I'm can't read his mind. I'm guessing maybe some confidence issues. Um, being jerked around a little bit in and out of the lineup. Some pe- people react differently to these things. And it was, I think it, it's harder on some people than others. And 
Caleb Jones is a hell of a puck-moving defenseman. So you have him, you have Darnell Nurse, you have Philip Broberry, you have Ethan Bear, and you have uh, Evan Bouchard. Mm-hmm. Those, guys, those guys can all move the puck really well. So in this, I do think, actually, the NHL probably will be moving towards a more open game. That, that this this is gonna, There's enough momentum that uh, they're going to take a... They're going to take a serious look at it in the NHL. They're just get, they're just getting hammered right now um, for the violence, some of the violence in the game for not punishing it, and for the attack, the, the suppression of superstars like McDavid and Matthews and others. So I, I expect there's going to be change, but I do think even without Tyson Berry, um, that with Bouchard and, and Broberry moving into your top four, as I envision to happen in the next year or two, um, maybe maybe three years from Broberry. I think he'll be on the orders in the second half of next season, probably. Okay. Um, maybe Following it'll make a long route, eh? Is that how long? Well, Clefbaum played a Clef full Baum, year. Yeah, he came up late in his twenty in his draft plus three year, which is what Broberry is facing next year. He spent he stayed two years in Sweden. Clefbaum, of course, he got injured in the second year, hurt his shoulder, so that didn't necessarily advance the cause. In fact, it's still a problem. Um, but then in his third year, he played a bunch of time in Bakersfield, then got called up. His fourth year, he played a few games in Bakersfield, and then he got called up for good. And so that's that's kind of the template for uh, for Broberry, who has you know a reasonable comparison for Clefbaum in terms of his his um, you know his size, his speed, his overall skill level, and the fact that both were sort of deemed great prospects, but they you know really need to refine their game at the time that they were drafted so now uh, speaking about at the time they were drafted Evan Bouchard in um, 2018 uh, he went in this cluster of defensemen number seven Vancouver took Quinn Hughes number eight Chicago took Adam Boquist at 10 Edmonton took Evan Bouchard at 12 Islanders took Noah Dobson so the Oilers had a choice between only between Bouchard and Dobson well, Hughes is in a, in a class of himself, I think, of this group. 129 games played. Adam Bouchard, or Boquist now, is up to 76. Uh, Bouchard, just 21. And Noah Dobson, 80. And I noticed him playing every game in the playoffs for New York Islanders this year, an exact contemporary for, uh, uh, for Evan Bouchard. And... I don't think it's because Bouchard hasn't cut the mustard. I just think it's just a, a, an opportunity thing, and it is time that he got that opportunity and was sort of written in pen. He might be third pairing, but he's going to play. Yeah, you know, they kind of made a bet on Barry because they wanted to compete for the Cup this year, mm-hmm. right? Because when yep. every year you have McDavid, it's... Um, so it was a tough year for Bouchard in, in the NHL because of that, and he probably would have been better off staying in Sweden, obviously, the whole year. Then come on over here for the amount of time he got on the ice. I mean, he did play what 15, 10, 15 games. So fourteen games. And he got about ten in a row when Bear was hurt. Yeah, and the Oilers did really well when he was in the lineup. So mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it's not a disaster what happened. They they have him. He's still on his entry level contract, and he will be next year and the year after that, I believe. So yeah, um, yeah they've got to create a roster spot for him this year. It's just a, like. The, they can't bring back Tyson Barry is the truth, or they got to pick between Barry and Larson is mm-hmm. the truth to make a spot for Bouchard. Noah Dobson, Bruce, I, I really liked his play as a junior hockey mm-hmm. player, man. He looked, yeah. he looked fantastic. I didn't, yeah. but I, but I'm not going to criticize the orders for taking 
Bouchard because from what I see of this guy, I mean, he his passing uh-huh. is just just you know, it's like it's like it's like some kind of weird machine where he you don't even think he sees the guy way up the ice and it's tape to tape uh, pass. Connor McDavid is going to love, I think, playing with Evan Bouchard and Leon Dreisaitl is going to love it. They're all going to really love it because I just he's a pretty special attacker and I I hope I'm not investing too much hope in him i probably am but um from what i see he's got a real chance to pan out here big time yeah i'm not criticizing the pick all i'm saying is that his contemporaries of of similar sort of offense first defensemen who got picked they all were basically full-time nhlers this year and, and bouchard spent a lot of time in the press box and that, i think that needs to stop going forward they have to they have to work him into the mix or else trade him you know, and get yeah. some fix a fix a different problem. If you got to include him in a package for a big scoring left winger, well, you know, but but hiding him in the press box has got to be a thing of the past. The the third option, which we haven't even mentioned, is so you could pick Barry, you could pick uh, Barry over Larson. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can trade Bouchard if you don't. If you could pick Barry and trade Bouchard um, mm-hmm. for a forward to play with McDavid. That's a mm-hmm. possibility, right? You could get a good forward to play with Connor McDavid and have Tyson Berry, and you'd blow it up for the cup next year. Um, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> you could also trade Ethan Bear and have Barry, Larson, and Bouchard as mm-hmm. your three defensemen. You know, that's Ethan Bear, I think, um, struggled uh, at the start of the year and then came on. And as the year went on, he played really solid hockey, solid two way hockey. He was part of some of the defensive meltdowns in the playoffs. Um, but th- this was a team thing where all kinds of players, including Connor McDavid, had struggles with their defensive poise. Mm-hmm. Dave Tippett just gave an interview with um, Pierre Lebrun and Scott Burnside of The Athletic, where he talked about the problems with the orders of two things. You know, players used to scoring points, getting frustrated mm-hmm. uh, with what the game was giving them. Mm-hmm. And talk about an issue with poise and we talked about this like the the breakdown in composure especially in game three when they were up four to one which Tippett was a part of because he didn't call the timeout yeah so you know and bear was that but i don't i just think that th- these are things that happen in games to players and i think ethan bear is going to keep straight on track to being being at least a, a solid third pairing nhl d man maybe a solid second pairing nhl d man if he if he can really get it together so I wouldn't, I'd be, I, I just, I'm not inclined to, to trade Bear. I, I would pick Bear over Barry. Mm-hmm. I would pick Larson over Barry and, mm-hmm. and Evan Bouchard over Barry. So fold, fold. And you my, use Barry's cap hit to uh, get that uh, forward. Cap space to uh, sign sure. someone. Yeah. Yeah. Use it this year. Do what they probably should have done last if you know, in hindsight, could have done maybe, mm-hmm. but I think it would have been fine. Would it worked out okay? I honestly think, but I don't know what the you know for what a three point seven five million. What could the Oilers have yeah. got for for that amount? You know, they would have had to buy out James Neal one year early, and then six years of cap penalties because of that to get to get you know like Tyler Toffoli. Let's say they had decided to go that route and bid for him. That's what it would have taken. So. Thank you, Peter Shirley, for the Milan Lucic signing, oh. which I was which I was semi on board with at the time. I was fearful of it, but you know, so I what a, what a disaster! It didn't it turn out, out to be? 
Yeah, that's fine. We could we could do a whole Peter Shirelli's mistakes podcast, but you know we could do a series. We could do a series. I'm sure I could fill an hour just with his four months of the 2018-19 season before he got fired. (laughs) He got worse in some ways the longer he was here. He had a few few good moves that first season, you know, with Maroon and Cassian and Talbot coming in and. The Secker mm-hmm. signing, actually, if Secker hadn't got hurt, that would have really worked out for the Oilers. All right, Bruce. So, I think we're we're in agreement about Tyson Berry, um, mm-hmm. and we wish him well. I really do wish him well. He's a fantastic attacking mm-hmm. hockey player. And... He, I mean, big picture for just a moment. I mean, he, he came here, put a one-year bet on himself, put himself in a good situation where he could uh, uh, fill a void on uh, a team that needed uh, some kind of production from the back end, and he delivered in spades, and he put himself in a great position for his next negotiation. Yeah. And he can first negotiate with the Oilers. I don't expect to see him sign here, but I uh, I liked a lot of what he brought. I thought he was an entertaining player to watch, and I wish him well. And a huge favor to the Oilers, Bruce, because if you wanted an advertisement for Sign a one-year deal uh, with the Oilers. Play with Mm -hmm. Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and see what happens next to your career. If you needed a billboard screaming that out. So I hope hope Tyson Berry gets an eight-year, $6 million a year contract with some team. Uh, I don't expect that to happen. I I hope not because the only team that can offer him eight years is the Oilers. (laughs) (laughs) Seven years. Okay, that's a good point. Let's 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 end off with a prediction. Mm-hmm. What do you think he'll get in in terms of contract and term? Uh, I'll go with four times five point five. I will go. Oh, that's a really good pick. I don't see him getting more than f- four. Uh, I'll go. I'll go with four times uh, four times six. Four right. times six. There's going to be some neat team that really needs an offensive defenseman and, and has the cap space. So four four times six. And maybe that team is the Seattle Kraken. And maybe that during the free agent negotiation window that they get before two free agencies starts, and they can sign. They can talk to any team's free agent, and if they sign one. Uh, then that's the player they get from that team, and that team is off the hook for having to put other players up to uh, Seattle in expansion. And maybe that's they'll say, well, we couldn't find a better offensive defenseman out there than the guy who led the league in scoring last year, duh. So we're going to take Barry, and now, Oilers, you don't have to lose another player to us in expansion. That's actually a pretty happy ending. Like that would be a that would be a good result for Edmonton Oilers, I think. Let's just see who's. Who's low to the cap? New Jersey, L.A., Ottawa, Detroit. Detroit's an interesting one. Carolina. Mm-hmm. They've got sites are coming. Carolina's not going to get them. Uh, <laughs> uh, they got their own players to sign. Anyway, there's not a lot of teams that have a lot of cap space. This is the problem. This is the problem for Nugent Hopkins, right? Like everyone's mm-hmm. thinking. Uh, yeah. Bob Stoffer was suggesting Columbus with uh nugent hopkins maybe that's an option i'm looking at their cap hit this year so it's misleading i don't it's not projected into next year so 
there's going to be maybe the Calgary Flames are going to find some cap space for uh, Tyson Berry. So we'll see. And anyway, I hope he gets that big contract because it's that's good news for the Oilers because it's great advertising for the come to Edmonton for mm-hmm. one year uh, sales pitch. And see, I'm rooting for Seattle just for that very reason that that would then resolve the Oilers' uh, uh, obligations to uh, give up a player to Seattle, and that would be the player. So, or if they lose him to free agency to anybody else, that there's no benefit to the Oilers. Go Kraken. Go Kraken. Kraken. Yeah. Barry's your man, guys. Barry, you know, he's, a, he's the goods. Right. He's kind of local, isn't he? Isn't he from BC? Or is he from oh. Alberta? Where is he from? Where is he from? I think he's from BC. Uh, but that's not. It's, it's, it's waiting the, for it to load. He's from Victoria. There you go. He's Victoria, a, BC, 91. So. All right, Bruce. Thanks for talking. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.